Would you take your Bible and turn with me to the eighth chapter of Romans, that amazing chapter in an amazing book. The eighth chapter of Romans today, the text uh, from the epistles for this Trinity Sunday is Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. If you're able this morning, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. So then, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it isn't an obligation to ourselves to live our lives on the basis of selfishness. If you live on the basis of selfishness, you are going to die. But if you put to death the actions of the body with the spirit, you will live. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. And with the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And that same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. We are God's heirs and fellow heirs with Christ if we really suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see you this morning on this beautiful Lord's Day. Um, happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Thank you uh, for showing up at church on a holiday weekend. And for those of you who are joining us online, thanks for joining us this morning. And, and for those of you who are out enjoying a holiday weekend and are, get the chance to be with family or to remember those who've been so significant in your life and are tuning in later or listening to the podcast later, you still get to go to heaven, but it's great um, that you, uh, thanks for joining us later uh, as well. And I hope that, I hope that you enjoyed your weekend. Um, but it is Trinity Sunday, and it's not only Trinity Sunday, it's the beginning of a kind of new season in the church year. Um, so those of you who haven't thought a lot about this, um, it, it's important for us, as a pastoral staff, we think all the time about um, how are we forming each other by the Spirit to be reflections of Jesus. In fact, if you were to ask me, what does a good church look like? Or how do you even judge a good church? You judge a church as good by the character of the people that it produces. Um, and so part of the way that we think about spiritual formation or what it means to be shaped is to kind of keep time in certain kinds of ways. And so that's why we pay attention uh, to the way in which time shapes us. And so it's why uh, next year, it's the last, I think November 28th um, will be the beginning of an Advent season. And so we have these seasons where we, we fast, and so we kind of have Advent where, we, where it's kind of cold and dark and the days are short and we fast a little bit and we sing, come now long, expected Jesus, a whole bunch of hymns in minor chords um, that we sing these hymns about, come, we need you to come, and we kind of fast waiting for Christ to break into the world. And then we have kind of a season of feasting, Christmas, uh, which we really do well. Um, we feast and we kind of get there to, till we get to Epiphany. And there's actually a season right after Epiphany that's called Ordinary Time. And Ordinary Time sounds kind of boring, right? Like it sounds like, oh, well, here we are. It's Ordinary Time. Um, but Ordinary Time means it's time for us to get ordered. Um, it, it's now Christ is coming to the world. So some of you have had brand new babies I saw in the back. Or some of you expecting children, you know that when a new child comes, you got to order your life. Like you have to reorder your life. And so we kind of order our life. And then we go through 
a fast called Lent and then a feast called Easter. Now we're back into a really extended time of order, of reordering our lives, this ordinary time. But it's fascinating to me that we begin this time of reordering, if you will, by thinking about what it means for us to confess God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to think about the Trinity. So if you're with me, to have our lives ordered in the light of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be ordered by the life of the Trinity. And so if, it's kind of warm in here, so if you're going to go to sleep, l- let me tell you what I'm going to say, and then I'll go ahead and say it, and then you can wake up and act like you heard it. Um, I spent a lot of my ministry thinking about relevance, about a time where the church feels like fewer and fewer people are paying attention, and so we've got to work hard at being relevant. And if what we mean by that is is we need to recognize that what we're doing is meaningful or make sure that people understand what we're saying or the things that we're doing actually resonates with people, like that's, that's fine. But I'm afraid often what we mean by relevance is that we mean we need to take the lives that people are living and somehow figure out how God and adding God in will make that work better. And so we're just obsessed with making sure God sort of fits into the pattern of your existence. And more and more I'm convinced that the, the ordering, if you will, that we're called to do in ordering our life towards God is not so much about relevance as it is about resonance. And that what we have to offer the world is not a God who is relevant to the story you were already going to write with or without God. But what we have to offer the world is an opportunity at, at resonance. And so what I want us to think about out of this text this morning is what it means when we order our life to the life of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we discover the resonance of life that happens when we order our life that way. So the Trinity is kind of a difficult doctrine, right? Um, that, that's a rhetorical question. Yes. Maybe of all of the doctrines of Christianity, the most challenging. To think about three that are one and one that is three. And, and so because it's challenging, we often go to metaphors to try to understand that. Um, if you grew up in children's church like I did, somewhere around first or second grade, you probably had a teacher who brought an egg to Sunday school class. I remember this vividly. And my Sunday school teacher talking about the Trinity as though it is an egg. Because an egg has three things, a shell, the white, and the yolk. And I think in class we even broke it open and thought about as kids this mystery of the egg that is three in one. When I got to seminary, I found out my Sunday school teacher is really heretical and should be expelled from the church. Um, that, that the problem with that metaphor, although it was helpful for me in first or second grade to kind of understand the tree, the problem is... Those three things can be separated from each other. So when you break open an egg, usually you throw the shell away. And then if you make scrambled eggs, oh, this is so awful. You mix the white and yolk together into some, oh, oh, heresy, heresy. Um, Or if you're healthy, you can take the yellow part out and just make an egg white on it. Like to separate, so the problem with the metaphor is that it's nice that they come together, but there's still three different substances and they can be separated from each other, which is really problematic. So I think it was in junior high or high school that my youth minister used a different metaphor, probably one you're more familiar with, water, right? And water comes to us in three forms. We can get liquid, we can get solid as ice, we can get steam, um, and kind of water then is in this other form of gas or steam. 
And it's, it helps. It's better than the egg metaphor in the sense that it's, it's all H2O. It's all water. The only problem, again, when I, when I got seminary, I realized my youth minister was a heretic too. That that, the problem with that is what's called modalism. That the Trinity is not about one substance showing up in the form. Do you remember that old uh, cartoon, uh, The Wonder Twins? Uh, form of the Father, right? Like form of the Son. Um, like, it's not like the same stuff in three different modes. That's also problematic. So we have to keep the unity of the Trinity, and we also have to keep the diversity of the Trinity to make this somehow work, and so those metaphors break down. The last several years with you, I, I love to go to a Greek word that was used by the early church mothers and fathers, a word that's called perichoresis, and so sometimes if you'll see art or sculptures of the Trinity, you'll see it as a kind of dance, right? Perichoresis comes from a dance word, and every year when I do this, and I'm not going to do it this year, because this week, my children asked me, Dad, is it Trinity Sunday? And Caleb and Noah looked at each other and started doing this to each other. <laughs> they were mocking me. They, they weren't. I'm glad it somehow stuck in their heart, but it was still elder abuse. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> mocking. <laughs> Sophie's the only one in the will still. I don't know, anyway, but they were kind of mocking this idea of but there's something kind of beautiful about the image that the Father is making space for the Son and the Son making space for the Spirit. So in, again, in art and sculpture, we'll sometimes see the Trinity pictured as a kind of dance where eternally the Father, Son, and Spirit are, are love because love is about making space. As I've said to you before, those of you who have children or grandchildren, you know, as you're waiting for that child to come, all of a sudden the strangest thing happens. You've made space physically in your home but you've made space in your life for this other that's now part of you. And even for some of you who've lost little ones or lost children or grandchildren, know the strange thing about love is you don't get that space back. You've made that space and you don't get to have it back, even if that space somehow is not physically filled. And so there's something beautiful about this image of the Trinity that's constantly making space and now has made space for creation, space for us. But I want to use a slightly different image or metaphor this morning. And I apologize. I forgot to warn, warn the camera people. I'm going to go to the piano for two seconds. Um, so if you're a little bit familiar with music, this is middle C, by the way, that I'm playing. The strange thing about music is if you take, if you take a cord or a wire and you stretch it really tight and you pluck it. So when you play a piano, you're, that hammer is making that. But when you do that, the strangest thing is happening. You're not just hearing C. You don't realize it, but you're also hearing this note, and you're hearing this note as well in the resonance of that string. It's why those, those sound like they go together, and this does not. That, that's wrong. <laughs> but these three sounds are being made together. It's why uh, sometimes we think of the Trinity as, as when we see the activity of the Father, maybe it's right to say we're also hearing the harmony of the Son and recognizing the work of the Spirit. Or maybe we could say when we see the Son, we're also hearing and seeing the work of the Spirit, but it's also done in, in light with the Father. Or as we celebrated last week on Pentecost, when we see the work of the Spirit, 
we're also receiving the work of both the Father and the Son. Are you with me? And so what we have there is this kind of principle called resonance. That you're hearing a chord or a note, but you're actually hearing a chord. Those three notes that go together and make resonance. In the text that we have before us, I was struck this week by how Paul talks about resonance in the Roman church. If you have your Bible still open, look at verse 16 of chapter 8. Paul says this, the same spirit agrees, has resonance. The same spirit agrees, is in harmony with our spirit, that we are God's children. So part of the reason this epistle text is chosen for today is because it mentions the work of the Father and obviously the work of the Spirit in the church, but in the line of Jesus as Messiah. If we think about harmony and, and the way Paul thinks about resonance in our hearts and in the hearts of the early church, it's really kind of odd to think about because Romans is really a letter written to a church in conflict. Romans is written to a church in this major metropolitan city where Jewish believers are, have accepted Christ as Messiah, but now Gentile believers are entering in. But not only that, you have this incredible diversity in Rome, both culturally, ethnically, financially. Like there's all of this diversity coming together in this Roman church. And Paul, in this amazing letter, and by the way, almost all the time, great theology comes out of conflict. Paul is writing to this church to say, listen, God is up to something. And so you as the church, here, this is not an option for you. You don't get to say, there's so much conflict here. What we need to do, we need to have a Gentile church and a Jewish church, and then we can uh, meet once a year for community prayer meeting. Um, or we have wealthy church or poor church. We have included church, excluded church. We have we have a church that likes this and a church that likes that, and that's the way we'll get harmony or resonance is by figuring how to do those differently. And Paul is arguing, no, there is something up in the work of Christ and now in the work of the Spirit that is binding us together, and there is a Spirit then that resonates within us. And in order to argue that, and by the way, this is not my fault this morning. This is totally on Paul. Paul is trying to find a way to argue this, especially to Jewish believers who are really struggling with this new unity. And he is writing them, writing to them, trying to find, how can I get them to understand this? Oh, I know what story they know. Exodus. Again, this is not my fault. This one's on Paul. So if you paid attention to the language of the text, Paul is saying this, you used to be slaves. So let's think about the language of slavery and bondage. You and our people, we were enslaved in Egypt. But here's the thing. God heard our cries. And when he heard those cries, in a sense, Yahweh, the God who created all things, adopted us as his children. And so you know how you react when you feel like your children are getting misused? God operated in ways that feel, felt like his children that he has adopted have been misused. And so God sweeps in like any parent would do. But God comes in and delivers them out of the bondage of Egypt. But now they get into the wilderness, as we talk about so often. And it's not enough just to get them out of bondage. Now God is going to form them and shape them 
to be a reflection of the kind of resonance or kind of life God wants people to live. And if they will learn that, and it's a struggle, because as I always say, it's one thing to get Israel out of Egypt, it's another thing to get Egypt out of them. And so he has to reframe their imaginations, their understandings. And as he does that, then if they will learn that, God says, here's what you will get. You will get an inheritance. And here's the quiz question for today. What is that inheritance? That inheritance is a land. You will get the promised land. And you will dwell there. And you will dwell securely in shalom. In, in peace. In harmony. In resonance. So Paul is taking that story and saying, now let's think about what Christ has done. You, not just Jewish folk, but you Gentiles too, you used to be slaves also. But not to empire or Egypt. You were slaves to sin and to death. And you were stuck in lives that did this. As Paul said earlier, the things you wanted to do, you didn't do. Things you didn't want to do, you didn't want to do, you did those really well. Like you found yourself caught in what the Common English Bible translates as selfishness. Some of your translations may say flesh. Now, Paul doesn't mean by that our bodies are bad, but he means there's a kind of life that has been determined by self and has turned in upon self. And the problem is the more you've pursued those things, the less resonance you've had in life and the more conflict is created with others and you are now in bondage into this slavery and brokenness. So you know, you know how you feel when you watch the news or you read the newspaper or you look around and you go, wow, the world's a mess. That was when I pastored in Texas. Um, <laughs> wow. Paul would say that is the bondage. The bondage to this kind of brokenness. So what did God do? God adopted you, and not just the Jewish brothers and sisters who already got adopted back in Egypt, but now he has adopted all of you as his children. And in the same way that God was trying to teach the people how to be reflections of who he is, only on tablets of stone, now Paul will say he's written those laws on your heart and filled you with the new spirit so that you can embody that, and you have an inheritance also. But that inheritance is the new creation. So hang with me. This is so radical. In the Old Testament, Paul argues this. Your inheritance was a strip of land in the desert in the Middle East, which we're still fighting over. Paul is so radical. You want to know what your inheritance is now in Christ? The whole world. Woo! The whole world, the new creation, it is all yours, but not in a, oh, this is mine kind of way, but in a way that the whole world, as Paul will say in just a few verses, the whole world's groaning, hoping for this new creation to happen, and that is the inheritance you have. That is the resonance that you have. That is the hope that you have. But what does this this harmony, if you will, this resonance in our hearts look like. For Paul, as he says, it looks like a kind of life that understands that we are children. I could be wrong, but there's a sense in which Paul almost seems to be referring not just to the sense that we've been adopted, but also to a sense of what Jesus says 
when the disciples are fighting for position and power, Jesus draws a little child and says, unless you become like a child, unless the spirit of the child resonates, lives within you, you cannot enter into that inheritance. You will not get into the new creation unless you become like a child. That there is a kind of childlike spirit. For lack of a better term, there's a kind of humility that resonates with God's people. I had a theology prof day in, in seminary, um, German, Miroslav Wolf, strong accent. But I remember a lecture that he would give on, on false forms of humility. You say, we talk about humility a lot, rightly so. Jesus embodies it, teaches it to us. But he says there's a couple of false forms of humility that sometimes we actually end up going towards. One is what he would call um, a kind of social humility that says, um, oh man, I am, I am so much less than Brent. Brent is so much more than me, right? And I need to be humble in his presence, right? Like that's social humility that places others above me. And Wolf would say, I understand why we go there, but here's the problem. It's actually a kind of false humility. Because first of all, it's not really true. <laughs> That's why I picked Brent. Like, it's not really true. But it's also not true that I am above Brent. Like we're brothers in Christ. Loved and valued by God. And what, what's worse is when we kind of do this humility thing, most of the time we're also kind of, we're either thinking less of ourselves than we probably ought to, or we're playing a game where I actually think I'm more than Brent. And part of the way I'm going to demonstrate that is by how much less than Brent I pretend to be. It's why... When I do that kind of humility, I'm angry when nobody notices how humble I am, which is problematic because then if I get the humility award and accept it, I have to give it back. That was a joke, but thank you for getting that. Um, but it's also kind of playing a game where we are actually now racing to see who can seem more humble than the other. He would talk about a kind of existential humility which says, I'm not what I am supposed to be. So I feel guilt and even shame instead of humility because I'm constantly feeling like there's a bar that God wants me to jump over that I clearly can't get to. In fact, I'm not sure I can even see it from here. And so I, I'm constantly playing this sort of game, again, of a kind of false humility, demanding something of me that God is not demanding and so Wolf would say, what we need are not those two fake kind of forms of humility, but genuine humility is this, and i got to get it right. A proper form of, huma of humility, if you will, a kind of Trinitarian humility, is this, along with other human beings and the rest of creation, I've come to understand that my own self is not the kind of being that could be something on its own. Let me say that again, because only my mother got blessed. Along with all other human beings and the rest of creation, my own self is not the kind of being that could be something on its own. So if you're with me, 
the paracritic life of the Trinity, the Trinity, the harmonic life of resonance in the Trinity is not one in which the Son is less than the Father or the Spirit less than both. But it is a life that recognizes the Father cannot be without the life of the Son and the Son cannot be without the life of the Spirit and the Spirit cannot be without the life of the Father. That it is a life that recognizes our need and our connection and how we can make space for each other. So Wolf would say this, Jesus is saying, unless you disciples recognize that you are the kind of creatures who need and therefore are bound to others, humbly giving and receiving love, friendship and care, then you can never enter the new creation. For the kingdom of God is the relationship of persons in giving and receiving ministry. And so what Israel was offering to the world was not a better version of the gods of war or wealth, but the God who brings shalom. And what the church has to offer the world is not how God easily fits into the story you are writing, but how your heart will be restless until it rests in the space-making love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me make just two or three caveats, and then we'll be done. The kind of resonance that Paul is inviting us into, life in the Trinity, a life that has joined the paracritic dance, if you will, is not built on false, false sources of unity. <laughs> so forgive me, um, I was born in 66, so I'm kind of a child of the 70s and 80s. But this week, as I was thinking about harmony, right, I, was gonna, I knew I was going to do the piano thing, and I, th I thought it was really cool, right? Um, as I was thinking about that, a song kept going through my head, and forgive me, it's my five-year-old self. But I kept singing in my head all week, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, perfect harmony, right? Like, um... Some of you I've lost, but some of you will remember 1971. Uh, you can look it up on YouTube, you cool kids. Um, there was a Coke commercial, right? They had all these diverse people up on a mountainside somewhere. It's kind of buying off some of the kind of 70s love culture. Um, but the, they wrote this jingle, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And then it goes in, I'd like to buy the world a Coke, right? I was laughing at that. I, I watched on YouTube this week. I got so tickled at this, this sort of sense of global unity, the bringing together of all these races and people over dark sugar water, right? Like, this is what we needed. This is the solution to global crises of violence and brokenness and sin in the world. It's a really good soft drink. That's our unity, right? Obviously, that's ridiculous. But no, less ridiculous than thinking our unity comes over everybody liking the preacher. By the way, that's not unity of the spirit. That's a personality cult. Our unity is not found that we all like the same music. The one exception to this is our unity is found in everybody appreciating the renovation of the sanctuary when it's done. 
That's the one exception. No. I have no false sense that we will all agree that the color of the carpet was what it ought to be. Our unity is not met in those kind of false forms of unity. In fact, what we celebrated last week was at Pentecost, our diversity, our differences are kept, and yet there is unity of the Spirit. It also is not a kind of resonance that happens without suffering. In fact, Paul says, listen, resonance is not the absence of suffering. In fact, the hope is that you will have resonance even in suffering or even learn the song more deeply because of the suffering that you've gone through. You know, if you're a regular here, there are times when I like to know what key we're singing in. I learned this from my dad. My dad loved to kind of get up and whatever song we were singing lead into some hymn that hopefully almost everybody knew. And he had a, between you and me, he had a cheat sheet in his Bible. Saw it once. <laughs> he had a cheat sheet that had keys and all the hymns that he liked. So he knew, Ryan, like, and so for me, just a little behind the, you know, the, the wizard, um, I was going to say the emperor has no clothes, but that's really bad. Um, if we're in C, I know that we can sing, be still and know that I am God. I love that one. Or if we're in D, we can sing, great is thy faithfulness, or um, there is a redeemer, E flat, I will praise him, I will praise him, praise the Lamb for sinners. If we're in F, we can go into just about every other song in the hymnal. If we're in G, we can do amazing grace, right, if we're... And B flat, how great thou art. So I have a cheat sheet, but it's in my head, which is not a cheat sheet. But here's the thing. I know if we start in that key, more often than not, we're going to end in that key. And the song itself may go all sorts of strange places. It may go into some minor keys. It may go, the song may be filled with all sorts of dissonance at times. But I know that 99.9% .9 of the time, if it started in C, we're going to end in C, and I can step up and start singing, be still and know that I am God. And it'll be okay. The harmony, the resonance God is teaching us is not a song devoid of minor keys and moments of dissonance. But resonance is the ability to walk through the suffering of our life knowing that there is a key that's being played and it started in that key and it will end in that key and it will come back to that key and I can live with joy in the midst of all those challenges, knowing that my song is even taking on beauty because God's at work in the midst of that. And then lastly, it is not... Um, it's not a song that we sing by ourselves. I, I love being at the university for a lot of reasons. Um, when I was young, I got offered a job at a seminary. And when they asked me to go, I said, I'm young. And you don't have a basketball team. Um, <laughs> so I love being at a university campus where, and by the way, congratulations to the baseball team getting to go to nationals and all that kind of stuff. That's really fun. 
there's so many cool things involved in university life besides just classes. But I have to say, of all the things I love at the university, my favorite is the, the choir. Um, it meant a lot to me as a student. It means a lot to me now to get to see Jonah and Sophie singing in it. And I, I constantly encourage them, you know, stay in the choir in part because I, I, I want to go and feel warm and fuzzy. But what I love about the choir and, and what's amazing at the college especially is you get all of, these, all of these different voices. And it's a big choir. And they're young. And I really, you look up there and they're different colors and shapes and sizes and hairdos. When they begin to sing, this diversity of voices all come together, especially when they're led well. Um, I remember as a freshman, being in Dr. Stalkup's freshman choir, and I wanted the world to know a, a new tenor had arrived in Nampa. And I remember doc, Dr. Stalkup saying during a, a, a rehearsal, I'm so glad to have all of your voices here. I think he was kind of looking over the tenor's direction when he said, some of you have lovely voices, but as you hear yours, be sure to hear those around you as well, right? Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was directed my way. But, um, but those voices that are so distinct and different, as powerful and beautiful and moving, is when they come together in resonance and harmony. For us, when we are led by the Father, singing the song of Jesus with the resonance of the Spirit, that is the life to which we are to be ordered life that is invited into the life of the Trinity and reflects that love and that resonance and that harmony and invites others to walk in the resonance of God. Come thou fount of every blessing. Hear this. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy Never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of God, redeeming love. I don't know if you noticed in the, the verse of that great hymn, it's not only an invitation to join the song, but it has resonance, Diane, of the text you read from Isaiah 6. Teach me this melodious sonnet sung by these flaming tongues by the heavenly creatures the resonance of heaven resonate with us. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. 
streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me songs Flaming tongues of love, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. This is our prayer today, O oh God. in a time that so glorifies the rugged individual. And in a time where we too often demand that somehow you be relevant to us. This is our prayer today. Come, thou fount of every blessing. Tune our hearts to sing thy grace. Come. I pray um, as we enter into these next several weeks and months, this time of reordering in light of the resurrected Christ and the coming of the Spirit, as we order our lives, order our lives to the perichoritic dance of love that we see in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have made space for us. Teach us how to make space for one another. I, I pray for, for someone today who's here or online or will hear this in days to come. Whose life feels like somebody just banging on the keys of a keyboard dissonance, brokenness, a cacophony, not of music, but just of noise. I pray that they would open themselves to you, to the resonance of love in your spirit. As Paul will say, to join those children of God whose spirits resonate together as children of God. Come, bring music and harmony and beauty out of the messiness that we too often make on our own. Draw us into your song today. And God, I, I pray for us as a church. May the goodness, may the power, may the transformation that happens in this place in the lives of others, may it come because there is a harmony of spirit, not because we're all the same, and not built on forms of false unity that come and go, but may your love be shed abroad in our hearts. Teach us to love one another today, we pray. For we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God's people said, amen. Would you stand with us this morning?